Oh, welcome here today. Glad that you're joining us from wherever it is that you are uh, watching this today. Uh, we are in the second week of a series from the book of Leviticus. And last week we started with a bit of an introduction. We, we talked about the setting of the book and, and the purpose. And what we saw was that Leviticus is actually part two of the book of Exodus. You have to understand Exodus to understand what Leviticus is about. And and we talked about the fact that Exodus begins with the people of Israel in slavery and God seemingly absent from the scene. But it ends with the people of Israel set free and God himself coming and dwelling in the very midst of his people. Which raises this, this incredible question. How does a sinful, impure, often immoral people live in the presence of a holy God. And that's the, that's the question that Leviticus sets out to answer. That's what Leviticus is all about. And so in the beginning uh, seven chapters of the book of Leviticus, Moses begins or God begins by outlining five different offerings that the people of Israel can bring to God. They are the, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. So there's all these offerings that are listed at the beginning of the book of Leviticus. Now, the, the Hebrew word for offering is the uh, word korban, which comes from the root word or the, the idea of to draw near. So it's interesting to see that the book of Leviticus does not begin with all kinds of laws. It doesn't begin with judgment or condemnation. No, the, the way that the book of Leviticus begins is with an invitation to draw near. It, it, it tells us that this God, this, this holy God who comes to dwell among his people is not angry or petulant or, or distant or detached, but rather this is a God who wants to be in relationship with his people. He loves you. He, he wants to be in a relationship with you. And so he invites, he makes a way for his people to draw near to him. And in the ancient world, that would have been a mind-blowing concept that, that this powerful, all-knowing, almighty God would want to be in a relationship with people. But for us too, if we, if we think about it, if we begin to understand the holiness and the majesty and the, and the greatness of God, it should blow our minds too. Leviticus is an invitation, an invitation to draw near to God. Now, this is, this is how God makes it possible. This is, this is how God does it. If you have your Bibles, turn back to Leviticus chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 2. After sort of the introduction, this is how Moses begins. And he lays down a, a, an important principle when it comes to offerings. He says this, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. Now, what, what God is saying here is just this very important principle. He says, when it comes to bringing an offering before me, you can choose what kind of an offering you want to bring. And he says, you can either bring it from the herd or from the, from the flock. Now, later on, he goes to define what that is. From the herd means you can either bring a bull or you can bring a lamb or you can bring a goat. And from the flock, he says you can either bring a dove or a pigeon. The option is open to you. Now, what, what this is all about is God wants to make sure that everyone can approach him, that everyone has access to him. So if you're a wealthy person, you're to bring a bull. But if you can't afford a bull, well, then you can bring a lamb. 
In fact, you, but if, you, if a lamb is impossible, then a goat. And if not a goat, then a, then a dove. And, and if you're see, really quite poor, you could still bring a pigeon. And the principle is that whatever it is that you can afford, you are to bring the best of that. But it's not about comparing what you can bring to the person next to you. So, so when you bring your offerings to God, when you offer the best that you can, if someone is wildly more gifted, more resources, more able, if everything falls just into their lap seemingly and you don't have as much, it's not like their offering is better in God's sight than yours. The question is, are you bringing your best? If you can offer a bull and instead bring a pigeon, that's not an offering. That's an insult. But if the best that you can bring is a pigeon, then in God's eyes, that is just as legitimate. That's just as valuable an offering as the guy who can bring a bull. So this is the principle that God sets out at the beginning when it comes to offerings. And then he begins to describe the first of the, the, the five offerings. We're going to only look at three of them. The first one is called the burnt offering. This is what it says in verse 3. He says, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. So the, the, the Hebrew word here for uh, this offering is actually ola, which literally means to go up. Because the offering that you bring here, this offering you're going to put on the, on the altar and the whole thing is going to go up in smoke. And he says you're to bring... A, a, one of the animals that is without blemish. In other words, you're to bring one of the best animals that you have, which means that this offering, this offering is going to be expensive. This is a, a costly offering. And, and as we're going to see, some of the other offerings, you can bring part of the offering. I mean, you bring the whole offering and, and part is given back to you, but not this one. In this offering, everything is given to God. It is incredibly costly offering. It's called the Ola. Yeah, I read, uh, I read about uh, a group of Marines uh, during the war in Iraq who were going uh, on this counterinsurgency mission. They were into this, this compound. They were going from room to room uh, seeking these insurgents. And at one point, uh, one of the insurgents uh, threw a, a, a grenade into a small room where there was five or six of these Marines in it. And there was no way that they were going to exit that room before that grenade went off. And one of the men threw himself on the grenade and the thing blew up underneath him. And, and in his body, he absorbed the whole impact of that grenade and it killed him. That offering, that, that sacrifice that he made, that's an ola, a complete, incredibly costly, full in kind of sacrifice. Now, Jesus also talked about this in a different setting. He, you remember the story of Jesus? One day he's, he's at this place and this woman comes and, and she has this very expensive perfume. And she, she breaks the top off the bottle and she pours the perfume on, on Jesus. And the disciples look and they say to Jesus, what a waste. What, 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 what's the deal here? And Jesus' responds, and, and we don't catch it so easily in, in English, but his response was to say, oh no, her offering was Ola. It was, it was a costly offering, a, a burnt offering. Everything was given in total commitment to God. That, that's this offering. This is a costly offering. And so when you bring this offering to God, you're to go and you're to find something that costs you a great deal. And you are to bring it, this animal, to the 
to the entrance to the temple, to the altar there. And, and when you get here, there, here's what you're to do. In verse 4, it says this. He shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So you are to bring this, this, uh, this offering. In this case, he's talking about a bull, but later he talks about lamb or the other options that you have as well. And you're to place your hands on it so that it becomes an atonement for you. Now, by placing your hands on it, what you're doing is you're basically commissioning that animal to become your representative, to take your place. And the reason why it's supposed to be without blemish is not only because it's the best, but also because it represents a purity that, that isn't in your life because of the sins in your life. And then once having commissioned that bull or that animal to take your place, then you were to take and you were to kill that animal and to let the blood pour out of that animal and the, and, the, and the priest would catch it in a bowl and then they would splash that blood against the side of the altar. And then if you read on, they would take that animal and they would put it on the altar and burn the whole thing. And the idea here is, I mean, when something burns, it chemically changes form from, from being flesh into smoke. And the smoke would rise up into heaven. And literally it was offering this gift right into God who is in heaven. That's what the burnt offering was all about. It raises a couple of questions. A couple of questions. The first is this. You know, it seems really gross and gruesome and, and brutal and bloody. Like, is all that stuff really necessary? And you know, the, the answer is that it actually, in that day, wasn't such a big, weird thing. I mean, you know, in those days, this happened all the time in all kinds of places. It, you wanted meat on the table for your family? You didn't go to save on food. You, your meat didn't come in a, in, a, in a styrofoam tray with a nice saran wrap labeled, you know, grade A beef. No, no. If you wanted to put food on your table on that day, that's what you took one of your animals. You took it to the side. You, you slit its throat. You, you butchered it. That's how you got food on your table. But that happens all the time in our, in our country, too. Only for us, it happens out of sight. It happens in a meat packing plant. But... All that meat that you eat, somewhere an animal was slaughtered and its blood was drained. And so, so the fact of the matter is that when it comes to this whole idea of, of sacrificing animals or, 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 or killing animals, we're kind of the ones that are in the strange when, we, when you think about the history of the world and actually much of the world today. Most of the world still gets their meat that way. So it's actually not that strange of a process. But the second question, the more important question is why? Well, why was it necessary that an animal die in that person's place? And why was it necessary that it be so costly? And the answer is, is that if you want to enter into the presence of the most holy God, there can be no, there, there can be nothing but holiness in you. There, there can be no sin in your life. There can be no rebellion against God. And yet we all have that. We have all sinned. We've all at some point or another rebelled against God. And that becomes like a form of cosmic treason, right? I mean, treason against any government is, is highly punishable. In many cases, by death. And treason against God, against the holy God. Again, when you understand who you are in light of who he is, that's punishable by death. And therefore, if you're not going to suffer that death, 
somebody or something has to take that place. And that's what this animal did. It, it was the atoning sacrifice that paid the price for your sins so that you could enter into the presence of a holy God because God wants to have a relationship with you. So that's what the burnt offering is. And the burnt offering was offered morning and night at the temple for days and months and years that, that rolled into, into decades and centuries. And literally for thousands of years, these offerings were made at the temple morning and night, morning and night, until God sent his son Jesus to come and to be the ultimate atoning sacrifice. When Jesus appeared on the scene, John the Baptist, he was out with all these people. He looked up and he, this is what he says about Jesus. He says to them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, Jesus came and he lived this perfect sinless life. He became the, this, this lamb without spot or blemish who took our sins upon the cross and became for us this atoning sacrifice. It was the most costly sacrifice in all of human history. And Jesus did it because of his deep, deep love for us. And it was a once and for all sacrifice. After that, there was no need ever again for any kind of burnt offering because Jesus was the ultimate atoning sacrifice for us. And the reason was so that we can have access into the presence of God, so that we can daily come before him and have a relationship with him. And this is the primary reason why Jesus came. This is the, the central act of his life was this atoning sacrifice on the cross. And for us to understand what it means and why it is so important and how it's significant for us, all of that flows out of an understanding of what God teaches in Leviticus chapter 1. You see, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1 begins and is all about forgiveness and grace mercy and an invitation to enter into the very presence of God himself. So a burnt offering is really all about being accepted into God's presence, being accepted by God. So what does this mean? This means that if you're someone who doesn't know God, that this is the way to, to know God through, through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You don't get to know God by meditating or, or by being a good person or by whatever the latest ideas floating around there. No, no, God has revealed it to us. In fact, he revealed it to us years ago in the book of Leviticus. He said, look, if you want to be in a relationship with me, if you want to know me, if you want me in your life, the way to come is through an atoning sacrifice. And so if you want that relationship, it simply means that you need to accept what Jesus did on your behalf. You need to put your faith in him and you need to say, okay, Jesus, I accept it. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. And for, for those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus, you know, sometimes we hear this concept explained so often that it, it, it loses its, it, it, it just doesn't seem so amazing. We say, oh, I've heard that before. But when you remember again, how majestic, how holy, how, how great God is, and how small we are in his, compared to him. I mean, when you remember that, it should cause you to worship. In fact, it should cause us to give our lives in gratitude and, and in devotion to God. And in fact, the same was here in, in the book of Leviticus, meaning that the second offering that you were to bring was all about that. 
The second offering was called the, the grain offering. And there are two ways that you could bring the grain offering. The, the, the first is described in, in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. There are three parts to this offering. Fine flour, oil, and frankincense. That's the first option. But, but if you read further down in verse 14, it tells you that a different option would be to bring something of the first fruits of your harvest. So instead of fine flour, you could bring vegetables or fruit from your fields and again, offer this offering to God. And then there's another part that was really important in verse 13, it describes, it says this, and you shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. So you would bring either grain and, and, uh, and oil and, and frankincense or incense, or else you'd bring fruit and oil and incense. And on all of that, you would put salt and you would bring it to the priest and he would take just a part of that and he would burn it on the altar. And the rest of that would actually be given to the priest and his family because unlike everyone else, they weren't farming. And so this was the way that the priest was able to serve God and serve the people full time as, uh, as he received this kind of support from those who brought this offering. Now, the question is this. Well, what was the purpose of this offering? Well, what was this all about? Well, first of all, it was, it was an offering of gratitude. Gratitude to God. First of all, that, that you could be in a relationship with God. But secondly, it was a way of acknowledging that everything that God has given you, everything that you have is ultimately his gift to you. So you brought just a portion of, of, the, of the harvest, the, the first. You said, God, you sent the sun and the rain. You provided the skills in my life, the, the abilities, the job that I have. You, you, you supplied all this. And of all of this that you have given me, I'm just going to give a portion, but the first portion back to you in gratitude for what you've done. But there's a second deeper meaning to this offering, and it's seen in the, in the, the, the call for fine flour. You know, flour in the ancient world was kind of coarse. They didn't have milling machines like we do. It, did, it didn't come out of a bag super fine. It was mostly coarse. And if you wanted fine flour, you had to pound that. You had to crush that. You had to, I mean, it just had to go on for a long time until it became good quality, fine flour and oil. I mean, oil came from crushing olives and, and there was huge pressure that you needed to apply to those olives to get this beautiful, you know, oil that gives such beautiful flavor to the food that it is used on. And incense, I mean, incense is, is something that only gives off this fragrant, beautiful smell when it is either crushed or burnt. And you can see the kind of symbolism that, that God is putting into this offering. And what he's saying is this, that, that, that even the suffering in your life, even the suffering is an, an offering to God, a, a sacrifice to him. If God deems that there's suffering in your life, if it costs you something to to honor him. That's part of, part of the sacrifice. That's, that's how you honor God in your life. And you do it out of gratitude for what he has done in your life. That, that's the, the first part. But, but then the second part of this offering, the second meaning was that it was a commitment of deep devotion to God. And that's where the salt come in. 
You know, in the ancient world, salt was always used as part of making a covenant. If you made a covenant with another party, if you bound yourself to them, the way that you sort of sealed that was to, to eat salt. In fact, if you really wanted to make it clear, you would actually eat salt off the edge of the blade of a sword. Just kind of making it very clear, this is permanent. And the salt, the, the salt in the ancient world was a preservative. And so the reason why you ate salt was to say, this this covenant is going to be an ongoing covenant. It's going to persevere no matter what comes. So this offering was saying, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done, for all that you have provided for me, and I am deeply committed to walking in this covenant relationship with you. The grain offering was all about gratitude and dedication to God. The grain offering in our lives, well, the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12. If you've uh, read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 to 11 is all about the atoning sacrifice that Jesus made. Why it's necessary, what it was about, how it imp impacts people's lives, the implication for both Jews and Gentiles. For 11 chapters, Paul explains all of that. And then he begins chapter 12 this way. He says this, therefore... Therefore, in light of all of this, in light of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, what the Apostle Paul calls us to is also a sacrifice a sacrifice of gratitude and devotion to God. Only this isn't one where an animal dies. Rather, this is a living sacrifice. This is us living our lives before God. So what does that look like? What, I mean, what does a living sacrifice mean? Well, if you read through the rest of Romans chapter 12 and 13 and 14, he lays out exactly what it means to be a living sacrifice right away. Right away in the very next verse in, in Romans 12, 2, he goes... Uh, uh, he goes on to say that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, we are to, to think differently about the world and how we see it. And that, that's a sacrifice. That requires you to think differently. That requires you to not simply take on the, 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 the views of the world that are said over and over and over again so many times until they just seem true because they've been said so often. Rather, it requires you to actually know the Bible, to study the Word of God, to learn, to understand, and then to apply that to how you think about the world. And that takes work, and that takes energy. That, that, that requires a sacrifice, because if you don't, if you don't, then you simply end up with a pagan worldview, holding all the views of the world with just a bit of a, a, a spiritual gloss over top of it. A living sacrifice means learning to think differently about the world around you. But then he goes on in verse 3. He says that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but that you are part of the body of Christ and that God has given you spiritual gifts to serve in the body of Christ. So here's the question. Are you actually using the gifts that God has given you to serve the church, to serve in the mission and the vision that God has called us to as a church in this place? Are you doing that? 
Or, or are you just taking the talents and gifts that God has given you and simply using them just for your benefit and for your, for your you know, wants and needs and all the things that you have? A living sacrifice calls us to use those gifts for the furthering of God's mission. And then he goes on. In verse 10, he says that you are to be devoted to your fellow believers. In other words, you are to be in community with them. Look, look, if you've been around here any amount of time, you know how important it is for you to be connected with a few other believers, to be known and known in community. And, and if you have joined us recently, you know, this fall, you should get involved in the community group. But there's a sacrifice there, isn't it? It means you've got to give up some of your time. You've got to get to know people. You need to, to, to love and care for them. But there's a great benefit there, too. I mean, they know you and they love and care for you, too. It's a sacrifice. In verse 14, he says, you're to bless those who persecute you. That's a sacrifice. Now, in our world, I, I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of persecution going on of Christians in, in, in Canada these days. But I mean, even when your neighbor comes and he's complaining that, that you're parking on the road, your one car, even though he's got these three cars that he's parking on the same road that your taxes paid for. I mean, you know, to bless him instead of curse him. There's a cost there, right? It's a sacrifice. He goes on in, in verse 16 to say, you're to live in harmony with the people in the church. Look, when there's conflict between you and someone else in the church, if you don't, if you don't just stoke it nor sweep it under the carpet, but if you go and deal with it so that you live in harmony with them, that costs you something. That's a sacrifice. He says then, do not seek revenge. Submit to the governing authorities to love others, to not cause one another to stumble. These things all take time. And they cost you. And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. When you do these things, I mean, they cause you. It feels like, you know, to be ground up like fine flour, poured out like precious oil, burned like incense. But when you do that, man, it becomes this precious, this precious aroma, this, this beautiful gift to God. It's pleasing in his sight. It's an offer. It's an offering out of gratitude and dedication to God. That, that's what it means for us when we talk about the, the second offering here, the, the, the grain offering, to be a living sacrifice. Now we come to the, the third offering that is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. It's called the, the peace offering. And it's called the peace offering because it is from the root word from which we get the word shalom. And shalom is the Hebrew word for, for peace, but but it's broader than our idea of peace. Peace isn't just the, the absence of conflict. Shalom is this idea of, of, of well-being, of, of, of goodness, of health. And so this offering, the, the peace offering, is a celebration of peace with God. And it's, it's uh, mentioned in Leviticus chapter 3 and parts of 7. It's the last of the offerings we're going to talk about today. And it starts the same as the other offerings. You bring one of the best animals that you have from your herd and you, you, you sacrifice it. But rather than burning the whole offering on the altar, you only burn the fat and the internal organs, the kidneys and the liver. And the reason is that these are very symbolically important in the ancient world. The, the fat represented uh, the best, right? An animal that was fat was healthy and was well fed and therefore the fat represented that you were giving to God your best and the kidneys and the and the liver 
In the ancient world, this was seen as sort of the seat of your emotions and, and of your will. And so by burning that, uh, by giving that as an offering to God, you were saying, God, I give to you my best. I give to you the deepest part of my emotions and my will. I, I give myself to you. But that was really the only part of this offering that was sacrificed to God. There was another part of it, the, the right shoulder and the, and the right uh, thigh that was uh, given to the priest. But then the rest of it, the, the rest of it was roasted on the fire of the altar and then served at this huge communal banquet. In other words, what this sacrifice is, was this, this big, holy barbecue. In fact, you, you would invite, if you gave this offering, you would invite your family and your friends and your, and your neighbors and your coworkers and but you'd also invite like the homeless and, and the refugees and the poor. And you would throw this huge banquet. And literally, while, while, this, while this beautiful meat was roasting on the fire, while it was being prepared to being served, the person giving, offering the sacrifice would give up and in front of all of these people would testify to God's goodness and to his grace in their lives. And then they would take this, this meat and they would serve this beautiful, beautiful meal to these people. It was, like, it was like Thanksgiving with God at the center of it. It was, it was this holy party, this beautiful thing. Now we do this? Do, uh, do we do this? Yeah, of course, of course. Not in the same way, but we also bring a peace offering to God because we too are at peace with God. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Again, talking about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we too celebrate the peace that we have with God. Now, how do we do that? We do that when we gather together on a Sunday morning. When we get together, I mean, that is meant to be a holy party. A, sa a sacrifice, a celebration of the fact that Jesus not only died on the cross, but that he rose again. And therefore, we have peace with God. We have this relationship with God. Which means that what happens on Sunday morning is a celebration. It's meant to be a party. But it's also meant to be a sacrifice. It also requires of you your best. It also costs you something. And see, in our culture today, where we have such a consumer mentality about so many things, sometimes that's hard for people to grasp. That Sunday morning is also a sacrifice that they offer to the Lord. There's a couple different ways that it's a sacrifice. First of all, it's a sacrifice of your time. Most of your neighbors, coworkers, the people around you, on Sunday morning, they're sleeping in, they're going for brunch, they're out on the boat. But, but the call for us is to set aside a few hours out of the entire week, at the beginning of the week, to gather together, to celebrate what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And that, 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 that means that coming on Sunday morning should be a, rather, a regular part of the rhythm of your week. It should be something that you just regularly say, Sunday morning, we're going to go to church. We're going to gather together with God's people to celebrate, to be together in community, to remember what God has done. Now, of course, you can't. No one can do that all the time. There's reasons that come up. But it should be a regular intention of yours to regularly be on Sunday morning. And that, that's a sacrifice. 
And when you come, when you come, as our church continues to grow by God's graces, as people continue to come and hear the message of the gospel, you're going to have to park a little further away. And, 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 and when you come, if you've been around here for a long time, you're going to say, there's a lot of people that I, I don't know. It doesn't feel quite the same. And then you come into the, into the auditorium and you might find someone even sitting in your seat and you have to sit somewhere else. And for some of you, that is going to be a sacrifice. And the music. I mean, when it comes to the music, the music that we sing in worship to God might not be the style you want or it might be too loud for you or it might be too quiet for you or or. It might just not give you the vibe that you want, or you just might not feel like lifting your voice in worship to God. And if you come with a consumer mindset, then all of Sunday morning, I mean, you just rate it out of five. The parking, three out of five. The, the lobby, what it is out of five. The, the music, the sermon, the, the, I mean, the whole thing, how someone greets you or doesn't greet you. If all it is is you come with a consumer mentality Sunday morning, then it's just about, is it good enough for me to come again next week or not? But if you come understanding that what happens on Sunday morning is both a party and also a sacrifice, well, that changes then how you see and understand Sunday morning. I, I know seniors in this church who have been here for decades, who have served so faithfully and have watched as things have changed, as the music has changed, as lights have come into the auditorium, all that kind of thing. And they don't necessarily love it. But they don't see Sunday morning as just being about them and what they want. They see it as a, as a sacrifice, a, a peace offering, celebrating their relationship with God. And so even though they don't love it all, they still come and they still lift their voices in worship. And they don't love all the songs, and yet they sing them. I'll bet you don't love every song that we sing, and yet the call is to sing and to worship God. And not based on if you feel like it or don't, if you like the song or not, but as a sacrifice of worship to God. But I also know young adults who, who come, who could go to a cooler, hipper place to worship where everything is just so, so well done and so put together. But instead, they built community here and they've made connections and they've leaned in and they're serving and they come on Sunday morning to, to worship, to celebrate, but also as an act of, 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 of I mean, a, a sacrifice, an offering to God. And then there are families that regularly on Sunday mornings get up and they, and they have all these little children and they, they wake them up and they feed them and they change them and they dress them and they, they bundle them into the car seat and they bring the stroller and, and they pack the ba diaper bag and then they come. And they come and their kids come and they, and they worship and then they pack them all up and bring them home again. And it's for them a, a celebration, but it's also a sacrifice. A way of saying to God, we want our family to know you and to be in relationship with you. And so we pay the price to bring them all, to get them here so that they and we together would offer our sacrifice to God. They come not to consume, but because of what God has done in their life, a holy sacrifice at a holy party. The writer of Hebrews, he's thinking about this very sacrifice, the grain offering. When he writes this to the church, he says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. 
What is the sacrifice that God is calling you to make when it comes to Sunday mornings? Not, not, a, not in a grudging way, not like, ah, oh, that's the way it is. I guess I'll put up with it. But rather in a way that says, God, this is, this is about you and not me. This is about honoring you and, and, and celebrating you in my life. And so even though it's not everything exactly the way that I think it should be, God, I come with a heart that says it's, it's for you. I bring to you a sacrifice of praise. See, the book of Leviticus begins with these three sacrifices, but they all have parallels for us in our world as followers of Jesus. Now, of course, we no longer are doing those sacrifices in the Old Testament the way that, that, that he writes them there. There's no longer an altar. There's no longer a need to, to sacrifice that way. And in fact, the concept of, of sacrifice feels a little, bit, a little bit foreign to us these days, a little bit, a little bit distant, especially in this part of the world where, and this generation where the biggest sacrifice we have to make is giving up plastic straws, right? I mean, we hardly understand in our culture what it means to sacrifice. Everything is about me and what's best for me and, and how to be most comfortable and, and, and have the best in my life. And sacrifice, I mean, it's a noble idea. We love to hear stories about it, but very rarely do we think about it for us. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then sacrifice needs to be part of your lifestyle, a part of who you are. The greatest sacrifice, the one that we benefit from beyond imagination is the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. But as a result of his sacrifice, we're called to make these sacrifices. We're called to dedicate a part of our time, and not just a part, but, but the best part of, of, of our life in gratitude and dedication to God. So, when you think of your time, when you think of your money, when you think of your, your talents and your giftings, I mean, what of those is actually given in sacrifice? What, what of those is actually a costly gift that you give to God? Or, or is what you offer God just the leftovers? I mean, the, the time that you might or might not have at the end of the day, the, the money that you might or might not have at the end of the month, the, the, the talents and gifts that he has given you, I mean, after you have used them in your work and in your life and in your world and for your needs and your wants, uh, do you just give him some of that just at the end to maybe serve him if, if, if you've got some space? Is there any place in your life where God gets the first and the best of what you have? Do, do you sacrifice anything to God? Or is it just about the sacrifice that he made for you? Is it just about what he uh, is giving in your life? What would a sacrifice look like to you? For, hmm. What would a sacrifice look like for you? I mean, what would an offering be? Where is it in your life that you need to re-examine your priorities and, and, and your, your resources and decide that you will give a portion of your best to God? That you aren't going to offer him a pigeon when you can actually offer him a lamb? Or that you're not going to offer him a lamb if God in his grace has granted you a herd of bulls? I mean, where is it that you're going to give him 
something in your life that isn't just the blemished, the wrecked, the leftover, the weakest, the least desire. Where is it that, that God is calling you to give him the best? Because he's a holy God, because he's worthy of those offerings. You know, if you read through these opening chapters in Leviticus in a number of different places after he describes the sacrifice and how it is to be done, he says when it's done that way, when, it, when it's offered to God like that, he says it's a pleasing aroma to God. When you bring your offerings to God, when you sacrifice to him, it is a, it is a pleasing aroma to him. It brings him joy and pleasure. It is a good gift to a holy God. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he, he sees the, the kind of sacrifice that the church in Philippi makes, and he writes this to him, to, to them. He says, the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When you sacrifice for God, that's what it is to him. It is a, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. It brings great pleasure to God. And those offerings... I mean, they draw us near to God. They allow us to be in his presence. And when we draw near to God, he draws near to us and he pours his life into us. And it is a beautiful thing. This is what the book of Leviticus begins at the beginning to teach us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Well, God, we, we thank you again, uh, Father, for your word. We thank you again that even this book of Leviticus that is so old and so ancient is still so relevant for us when it comes to knowing how to know you, to live in your presence. And God, this idea of sacrifice and offering, that's expensive. That's costly for us. And yet, God, it's what you call us to. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would open our eyes to see where it is that we need to sacrifice for you. God, where it is that we need to give you the best of what you have given us, not all of it, just a portion of it, but to give it gladly and, and wholeheartedly. And God, for your glory and for your name, that we might know you better and that you might pour your life into us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me, let me end by blessing you with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you his precious peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope you have a great week. I will see you next week.